Okay, please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 8, and I think last time we finished in verse 36, and just a very, uh, few points to share with you all before we get into Acts 8, and Lord willing, conclude it. We saw from verses 27 and 28 that the Ethiopian eunuch was searching for the Lord, and when you search for the Lord with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, the Lord will move heaven and earth to reach you. But I think it's worth saying that he probably had a modest number of armed guards traveling with him, much like we discover when the wise men went up to Jerusalem looking for the newborn king. That pictures justification in the sight of man, James chapter 2, versus justification in the sight of God, Romans chapter 4. Also from verse 32, we found the 13th Old Testament quotation from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, And in verse 35, the word of God told us that Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Now, it's quite possible that Philip in his back pocket had the Old Testament, the Jewish Tanakh. On top of that, it's also quite possible that Philip had memorized the Jewish Tanakh. And thirdly, maybe the Holy Spirit was giving him total recall over the entire Old Testament, but I'm going to stay with my first thought that Philip, a good saved Jew, a complete Jew, traveled everywhere with his Bible in his back pocket, and I think that's a good picture for what we should be doing as when we go onto the streets or make our daily journeys here and there. But just a thought to share with you all for this Lord's Day morning. But we ended last week in Acts 8:36, and I'll read it again, and we'll start today's service in verse 36 to see if we can glean some more light from this piece of holy writ. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And they went on their way, and came to a certain water, and the eunuch, taking the initiative, says to Philip, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? What stops me from being baptized? It's obvious to me from 35 that Philip has preached Jesus, to this Ethiopian eunuch, not religion, and during the discussion, which could have lasted minutes, or maybe an hour, or so we're not told, he has explained the gospel. He's made it very clear to the eunuch that once you have been saved, you should be baptized by total immersion, if possible. But this Ethiopian eunuch has traveled from Ethiopia with an armed guard, I think, and maybe he's got the purse on him, the bag. Maybe he's carrying some of the treasure with him from Candice, his queen, I'm not sure, but either way, he gets saved. He's searching the scriptures, which is a good sign for somebody who wants to be saved. And the Holy Spirit says to Philip, stop what you're doing and make your way down to Gaza, which I believe is about three miles from where he was preaching. And he stops everything, heads down to Gaza, not knowing what to expect. And he comes across this Ethiopian eunuch, this great individual, a Gentile proselyte who has converted to Judaism, but he's not yet saved. He's like the people you're going to find in Acts 19 when Paul comes across a group of Jewish proselytes or, on the other hand, Jews that heard John's baptism in Matthew chapter 3, responded to it, but weren't yet born again. And that's why Paul says to them in Acts 19, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they say to Paul, what is the Holy Ghost? Which suggests to me that this group of individuals from Acts 19 weren't Jews per se, but probably proselytes. But we'll look at that when we get to chapter 19. But here, I'm still looking at Acts chapter 8. And I'm looking at this Ethiopian eunuch, a man who's searching 
and the Lord says to Philip, drop everything that you're doing and head down to Gaza. And off he goes. And as I say, he arrives and he finds this man with an armed guard reading his Bible. And you think to yourself, what would they have thought of such a thing? His armed guard. And he stops and uh, Philip draws near, speaks to the Ethiopian eunuch. And it says in 35, one more time. And Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. But from 35 going to 36, they now come across some water. And the eunuch wants to be baptized, which is what we should all be seeking to do once we are saved. And he puts a question to Philip one final time. See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Now we know that water doesn't save us. We know that works don't save us. And I'll come back to that as we go through this final piece of Acts chapter 8. But he wants to demonstrate his faith in the sight of others. James chapter 2 speaks about justification in the sight of man. Whereas Romans chapter 4 speaks about justification in the sight of God. We were told back in 1 Samuel how the Lord looks on the inward. The Lord looks on the heart. Romans chapter 4. But man looks on the outward appearance. James chapter 2. So don't allow anybody to ever trip you up when it comes to harmonizing. Romans 4 with James chapter 2. But let's move on please. Verse 37. And Philip said, If thou believest... With all thine heart thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. If thou believest with all thine heart, the just shall live by faith, thou mayest. You got saved by believing with all of your heart. And he says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's what puts you into the body of Christ. That's what saves you. To believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God saves you. Not just a mental appreciation or mental consent but true belief true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and it says in verse 38 and he commanded the chariot to stand still and they went down both into the water both Philip and the eunuch and he baptized him he commanded the chariot to stand still this man has some authority some power and they went down both into the water both Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch where he baptizes him this has to be total immersion. There's no sprinkling. In fact, the early church for the first 300 years, up until around the time of Constantine, would baptize individuals by total immersion. But as the apostasy grew and Christendom blossomed and organized religion became a problem, it would replace biblical Christianity and the simplicity of Christ was eroded. Elders became priests and such priests were too lazy to baptize by total immersion, so they would sprinkle individuals. And also from 37, if you have an NIV, that is not in your Bible. If you have an NIV, there are over 36,000 words missing from your Bible. And yet, as I said last time, Acts chapter 8 is a major turning point in the history of the church. Up until this time, the Jewish apostles have only been witnessing to Jewish men and women, laity and clergy. But here, this man breezes into town, this Ethiopian eunuch, He's gone up to Jerusalem, the eternal city. He's sacrificed to Jehovah, but he's not yet saved. And that's why the Holy Spirit says to Philip, drop everything and head down to Gaza, so on and so forth. And 38, one more time. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And just picture this for a moment. All of his assistants, arm guards, his entourage, if you will, must have thought, what is going on? This great Ethiopian eunuch, this man who has been a faithful servant of Candice, and he's now identifying himself with a Jewish evangelist. Who initially was chosen, we are told back in Acts chapter 6, to be 
and assistants within the First Church of Jerusalem. But like many brothers in scripture and throughout the church history, this man wore many hats. And Philip, like many good godly men, was able to multitask. He's gone from being an assistant in the First Church of Jerusalem, not a deacon, I might add, to being an evangelist. The chariot has been halted, and they went down both into the water, verse 38, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptised him. I think this baptism that we are reading about is the baptism from Matthew 28. And uh, please turn to Matthew 28, because up until now we've been reading about people being baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus, with the authority of the Lord Jesus. And some of my dispensational brethren will say to me that up until this piece of scripture, say Acts 1 to 8, that was the mode of baptism. You got baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, which is what the oneest people like to use. But I'm not so sure about that. But we were told in Matthew 28 by our Lord and Saviour, 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, not just the Jews, all nations, Gentiles, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Mark 16. But here, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name, singular, of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. So I think this man, this Ethiopian eunuch, is getting a Trinitarian baptism. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. I'm with you always, until the end of the world, until the end of time. Amen. Which pictures the Lord Jesus Christ as being deity. But I think that what you are reading here, Matthew 28, is taking place in Acts chapter 8. Please go back to Acts chapter 8, 39. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went in his way rejoicing. Did you see that? And when they were come up out of the water... Total immersion. The Spirit of the Lord, Holy Spirit, caught away Philip. It's a picture of the rapture. He's literally reached down to Philip and he's plucked him up. He's removed him. This sometimes gets missed by Bible expositors. They think that the Spirit of the Lord has simply told Philip to pack up and leave. No. The Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip. He raptured Enoch and Elijah back in the Old Testament. And both men went to heaven, not paradise in the ground, I might add. Abraham's bosom, Luke 16, but they went to heaven. A one-off event. But here, the Holy Spirit has caught away Philip. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. There's no church membership here. Did you see that? Philip doesn't say to the Ethiopian eunuch, I'm going to disciple you. Come to my church every day and I will teach you the things of the Lord. I'm going to disciple you. You're going to be accountable to me. No. He baptizes him. He's preached Jesus to him. Not religion. 35. And the man got saved by believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Justification in the sight of God. One more time. Romans 4. He got baptized. Justification in the sight of man. James chapter 2. And this man, this Ethiopian eunuch, heads back to Ethiopia. A changed man. A new man. But I guess the main Interest for me from 39 is this rapture. The Holy Spirit literally catching Philip and removing him from the scene. We'll come back to that in a moment, please. Verse 40. 
But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. From the desert to Caesarea is about 20 miles. The Holy Spirit has literally transported him over a period or a distance of 20 miles. And Azotus, Ashdod, Philistine land. Hostile territory. And if you were to go there today, you're going to find millions of Palestinians worshipping the moon god, Allah. But here, this great man, Philip, this courageous individual, goes down there, preaches to the Ethiopian eunuch. The eunuch gets saved, is baptised, and the Holy Spirit says, okay, Philip, you've done your task for today. I'm going to move you from one part of Gaza to another part of Israel, being Caesarea, which was where the Lord spent some of his time here on earth. But just picture that one more time, an area of around 20 miles, and this supernatural act took place just like that, right under the eyes, or right under the nose of the Ethiopian eunuch. And think to yourself, what would he have thought? What would his men have thought? One minute he's speaking to Philip, then he's gone. It's like the rapture. And he goes on his way rejoicing, enthralled, completely full of the Holy Spirit, love and joy on cloud nine, as they say. And this man would have gone back to Ethiopia, would have witnessed to Candice, his queen, and no doubt her servants, others in Ethiopia. And I think that tradition tells us that Ethiopia heard the gospel via the eunuch. But one more time from 39, that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. If you get saved, you're born again. Listen to me. If you get saved, if you are born again, the Holy Spirit will never leave you. He will teach you. He will guide you into all areas of truth. It's nice to have fellowship, of course, but it's not always necessary. If you're on your own listening to this message anywhere in the world, if you're born again, if you have the word of God, you are more fortunate than those that have nothing. And this man, one more time, heads off, full of the Holy Spirit, enjoy and Philip was found at Azotus 40, and passing through he preached in all of the cities till he came to Caesarea. No time off. This man doesn't go and play golf for the weekends. This man doesn't go and do fishing at the weekends. This man doesn't put his feet up and watch sport at the weekend. He was a full-time evangelist. And on top of that, he does signs and wonders. He's something else. He's a unique individual, and that will close Philip's ministry for now but we pick him up later on in the book of Acts and the more you read this piece of scripture the more you realize how wonderful the early church was full of miracles signs and wonders unique events which we don't see today we live by faith not by sight but the early church needed signs and wonders they needed to see miracles because the Jews require a sign first Corinthians and that sign affirms that the apostles were sent from the Lord. On top of that, we looked last Sunday at this interesting piece of scripture from verse 14, still in Acts 8, how the apostles, which were at Jerusalem, the mother church, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, and they sent unto them Philip and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Ghost. If you turn to John chapter 20, I want to explain that a little further, because... Some groups will say that unless you are in their clique, unless you are in their system, unless you are a baptised member in their establishments, you can't be saved. That's foolish talk. John 20, Jesus Christ is speaking, and you're in this intertestimonial period from law to grace. And it says in verse 21, Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, 
even so send I you. Peace be unto you, the apostles, as my Father hath sent me to the children of Israel, even so send I you to the children of Israel. 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 1, verse 5, I think it is. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. What's happening here? The Lord is saying to the apostles that you are my witnesses. You're going to go to Israel. You're going to preach to the people of Israel, first of all. That's what Peter does in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. You're going to preach to them. You have my authority because you have been with me for three and a half years. And some of you are going to write the New Testament. So he breathes on them. They receive the Holy Ghost, which fully comes into relevance in Acts chapter 1. This is like a, a down payment, if you will. And he says, Whosoever sins you omit, they are omitted unto them. And whosoever sins you attain, they are omitted. Which means quite simply that the apostles have the ability to say to person A, if you believe, you're saved, which is what Philip has just done in Acts chapter 8. And then turn around and say to somebody like Simon Magnus, Simon the Sorcerer, the first Antichrist in Scripture, that because you aren't right with the Lord, you're not saved. So you can tell somebody by the authority of Scripture that if you believe, you're saved, and if you don't believe, you're damned. But here the apostles are given the authority to preach, to authenticate the true gospel, and that's why they, the apostles, were sent down to Samaria. They, the apostles, had the authority, and up until this time in the church's history, only they had the authority. No one else had it. Some of their colleagues would have it. Some of their associates would have it. But primarily, you are dealing with the apostles. So be careful, because if you're not wise when it comes to exegeting this piece of scripture, you may think, well, unless somebody comes down and prays for me, or lays their hands on me, I can't be saved. No, no, no. What we read last Sunday, and what we're reading this Sunday, was a one-off event. Acts 9 pitches this slightly with Paul's conversion, but not quite. And we'll get to that next Sunday. And Acts 10 almost pitches it with Cornelius and his friends, but not quite. So be careful. You're dealing with a transitional book. You're dealing with a book which is covering a good 30 years of church history. And I'll say this one more time, that Matthew, Acts, and Hebrews are the hardest books to teach doctrinally. We can spiritualize some of these difficult passages, but what we don't want to do is teach such chapters doctrinally for today. So the apostles have been given the authority and the apostles for the first several chapters of Acts are in the driving seat. They're going to go down to Samaria, pray for them and lay their hands on them in order for them to be saved. But that's it. And you go to Acts chapter 2, you see Peter standing up on the day of Pentecost, a Jewish feast day, and he preaches to the people of Israel. The apostles are filled with the Holy Spirit and they speak in other tongues, 30 AD. But 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40 AD. That never happened again. So you see, you're dealing with a transitional book. And if you're not careful, you're going to break your neck if you teach this as doctrine. Also from Acts 8, we came across this man, Simon Magnus, Simon the Sorcerer. He's a mystery man. He's a bit of an enigma. And it says he believed and was baptized. And then down through Acts, going into 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, Peter takes the lead and he says, your heart is wicked. You're in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. So 
You think to yourself, was this man saved or not? Well, I'll tell you something. If you turn to Second Timothy, please, we come across an interesting piece of scripture which sometimes gets quoted by Calvinists, uh, interestingly enough, and they sort of twist the scripture. And in Second Timothy chapter 2, we read in verse 24, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. Did you get that? The servant of the Lord must not strive, be patient, apt to teach patience, so on and so forth, instructing those that oppose themselves. This is in reference to saved people. If God peradventure, if God perhaps will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. This pictures the man in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, does it not? Who was having sexual relations with his mother. He got into a great snare. And that they, 26, may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. Who are taken captive by him at his will. So I look at 2 Timothy 2, 24 down to 26. And I cross-reference this back to Acts chapter 8 with the Ethiopian eunuch. And on top of that, I take Acts 8, 1 Corinthians 5. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and I think to myself, the man in Corinth was a wicked individual. He too was in the bond of iniquity. He too was very much in the flesh, in the gall of bitterness, and yet he got saved. Something happened to him. I mean, he was saved all along, don't get me wrong. He was always saved, but he got delivered from being snared by the devil. So you be careful with these passages. And on top of that, 2 Timothy gets quoted by Calvinists to say that, God has to grant you repentance in order to be saved. And if he doesn't grant you repentance, you can't be saved. That's the worst way to exegete 2 Timothy chapter 2. Because I'm going to show you in a few weeks time from Acts chapter 11. How God has already granted repentance to the Gentiles. We saw some weeks ago how he's granted repentance to the Jews. Acts chapter 5. So by granting repentance to the Gentiles. Acts chapter 11 means he's drawn all men unto himself. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto him, not imputing their trespasses unto them. And Paul goes on to say, now is the day of salvation. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So I'm going to leave Second Timothy as it is in reference to a saved man or woman. Maybe like Simon Magnus, maybe like the man in Corinth who believed, got saved, but messed up, as they say. And yet we saw from Acts 5 some weeks ago, Ananias and Sapphira, another couple in the early church that fell from grace, but on that occasion were not spared physical death they were cut down in their prime so you see many themes in acts of the apostles and you gotta be so careful when you read through acts of the apostles but there you are 40 verses from acts chapter 8 and in my very final wrap up for today's lord's day service all i will say is this that Saul of Tarsus has been introduced into the early church we saw him at the end of acts chapter 7 and he was there when stephen was being put to death he heard Stephen's words of mercy. Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. From 760. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And those words probably haunted Paul all of his life. And yet, those words probably started to cause Paul to search for the Lord. That was a seed planted, which you couldn't have scripted. But he was there, Saul of Tarsus. He witnesses the first martyr of the church. And I say, those words must have ricocheted all over Paul's body. And yet from the death of Stephen, 
Solitarsis is on the road to redemption, but it won't be an easy road, and we'll pick it up. Acts 9 next time. With the death of Stephen, he is buried, and this religious fanatic, Solitarsis, went from house to house, hailing men and women, committed them to prison, interrogated them, tortured them, and maybe quite possibly allowed his men to put them to death. But that's okay because from that persecution, this group of early believers, four, are scattered abroad and they go everywhere preaching the word of God. Preach it in season, preach it out of season, but just preach it however you can. And with the fall of Stephen, Philip is called to replace him. Chosen from Acts chapter 6 by the church, prayed over by the apostles in Acts chapter 6, and sent out by the apostles in Acts chapter 6. But Paul, the apostle, doesn't come the same way to the cross. And Paul, the apostle, doesn't function the same way as Philip or Stephen, or maybe Agabus or Apollos is going to function. Those individuals are going to work in a different way. Those individuals are going to come up a different way, a different route. And that's why I say again, be so careful when you come to teaching Acts of the Apostles. But Philip, filled with the Holy Spirit, does miracles left, right and centre. Unclean spirits crying with loud voice. Seven came out of many that were possessed with them. And on top of that, he heals many that were afflicted with the palsy and that were lame. No failures, no come back tomorrow and I'll do it again. No, if you come to me, Philip's saying, I'll heal you here and now by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, you know that with healings and miracles, the devils are very interested in such things occurring. And this man, Simon the sorcerer, shows an interest. He comes onto the scene. And as I said just a few moments ago, he believes and is baptized. But something isn't quite right with this man. And that's why the apostles are first of all sent down to Samaria to make sure that this is a genuine sign of conversion or a genuine sign of repentance first of all in reference to the individuals in Samaria and on top of that in reference to this great man this power this individual who'd been bewitching the people because they wanted all men to be saved the bible says that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked he wants all men everywhere to repent and yet this individual Simon the sorcerer had the potential to really thwart this mass conversion of Samaritans getting saved but the Lord can still work with that and that's why the apostles are sent down to say to pray for them and to lay their hands on them because we were told in 16 for as yet he the Holy Ghost was fallen upon none of them only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus so they are waiting to be saved this is a transitional period for the apostles to get down 17 to lay their hands on them that they may receive the Holy Ghost which put them into the body of Christ but that's it well, that's the only place you're going to find this occurring in Acts of the Apostles. And 18, one last time going down to 24. Simon the sorcerer, lustful, wanting to have the ability to lay hands on individuals to speak with other tongues. It's a strange event in the early church. And that's why he's told to repent. And they leave him and he leaves them. And it's also fair to say that from 25, with the apostles going back to Jerusalem and with Philip being dispatched to Gaza, it's just possible that before Philip left them, he chose individuals to take the oversight of the early group of Samaritans before heading off to Gaza to preach to the Ethiopian eunuch who believed, was baptised and was left to go in his own way. No church membership, no works involved, no confirmation, no nothing. Thou believest, 37, with all thine heart, thou mayest. 
And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and he was saved. And if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you'll be saved as well. And if you're able to be baptized by total immersion, go for it. But if you can't, that's okay. You are saved by the blood of Christ. You are saved by what Christ did for you on the cross, not what you do for him. Baptism shows your faith in the sight of others. James chapter 2, verses your faith, which the Lord first saw, Romans chapter 4. And from this conversion, Philip is raptured from Gaza to Azotus, a distance of around 20 miles, a miracle. And off he goes preaching in all the cities till he comes to Caesarea. And I'll stop it there at the end of Acts chapter 8, and next week we'll pick it up in Acts chapter 9.